Let's hear these two passages from John's Gospel. John 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that was sent, sorry, that was, that all through him might believe. Uh, He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. As the grass withers and the flowers fade, God's word indeed endures forever. May he bless it. I've been uh, looking forward and preparing for about a year uh, this series and study in the Gospel of John. It's one of the most uh, uh, formidable of the four Gospels in what it contains. Uh, It's one of those uh, books, again, that has many straightforward things and yet many deep things. And I think I'm fair and right in saying that if you had a perhaps a, a new Christian or somebody who comes to you and you sense they're seeking to know Christ, to know God better, and they come and they ask you, What book of the Bible should I start reading first? How many of you have recommended the Gospel of John? Yeah, I have too. Uh, But you know, my study of it this past year, it's a heavy, weighty book to understand. (laughs) There's a lot of things that aren't simple. Now, can you imagine a person who's never been schooled in God's Word and doesn't have the understanding that most of you, if I look out here, most of you have grown up with, and you read this opening line, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, that you'd stand there and think, oh, that's easy to understand what it means. And that, that's the introduction that perhaps an unbeliever or a brand new Christian or somebody who has no understanding of God is introduced to, in the Gospel of John. That's not easy, is it? Now, there are some parts that are really easy. And I think one of the reasons why we recommend John's Gospel is because of those easy parts that stand out and spell forth so clearly God's love for the world and desire of salvation. Most, uh, uh, I think here, have memorized John 3.16, haven't they? And we know it well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the gospel within 
the Gospel of John, and we affirm that. That's the thing about this Gospel. As one man said it very long ago, and others keep quoting him, John's Gospel is a pool in which a child could paddle and an elephant could swim freely. And that's meaning very pointedly that there are parts of it that are just so clear and easy to grasp. A child could understand how I can be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there is in it a depth uh, of wisdom from God that plumbing it, understanding it, and applying it. It is a lifelong journey here on earth. That's God's word in general. Now, John's gospel is different from the other three gospels. We have four gospels. I often use this illustration as I do with Revelation. Why do we have four gospels? Well, the same reason why we have different witnesses when it comes to understanding something that has happened. Uh, If you were, uh, for example, as a family, to go and watch, let's say, a baseball game, but you couldn't get your tickets where you're all sitting together, and one had to sit up in the bleachers, one's behind home plate, another is off to the side off of first base, and another is off to the side on third base, you all four would come away with different perspectives of that game. You would see things that the other three did not see because of where you are positioned. And so when you get together, you might say, did you see when this happened? No, I couldn't see that. But the witness is still true. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the, the reason we have four Gospels. From, from four individuals who are giving witness to Christ. And they see a lot of things the same, but... There are different perspectives that they have seen and understood. And and John's gospel does stand out unique from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. And what that word synoptic means, it simply means seeing together. Optics, see, sin, together. And, And those three gospels give a lot of parallel scenes and and stories and reflections and life and ministry of Christ. They have the parables and they tell of many different miracles that uh, were performed and their view of that final week of Jesus' earthly life, what we often call the passion, is very, very similar. But John's is different. Some have said that it is more a a theological class on who Jesus is. We look at how it's divided. John's gospel is neatly divided into two sections, chapters 1 to 12, sometimes called the book of seven signs, is detailing John's perspective of three plus years of of ministry of Jesus Christ. But in those opening chapters, chapters 1 to 12, he specifically relates seven miracles, or what he calls them, signs. And after each one, he gives a a 
dissertation or, if you will, a sermon, a discussion, and in applying that sign and pointing out Jesus Christ. And the last part, chapters 13 to 20, often called the Book of Passion within John's Gospel, deal specifically with the last three days of Jesus' death and resurrection and convey some of the most deeply personal teaching that Christ gives to his disciples. You find things in John's gospel that the others do not even mention. You have uh, very much uh, key themes within John's gospel that come out. Themes about the world, flesh, darkness, death, light, life, love, truth. You read those same words in his letters and in Revelation. They were themes that John seemed to emphasize more dramatically concerning Christ than the other uh, three Gospels. And as well, and this is something of John's writing skill, number seven was very important to him. You read the book of Revelation, seven, 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 uh, pops out all the time and even in the gospel, seven signs, seven sermons, seven I am statements. That he is set his, his focus on and, and the spirit working in him, putting this focus on him to exalt Christ for who he is, the son of God, the eternal son of God. Those I am statements that we're going to cover as we go through it reveal Jesus acclaimed as the I am whom I am who revealed himself to Moses. And Moses said, please tell me your name. And, 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 and that, that name, I am whom I am. How many of you would, would ever call God I am? We, we don't think to. We have other names that we attribute to him. But what was God saying when he revealed himself as the I am? More specifically, what was Jesus saying when he revealed to Moses in that burning bush? I am whom I am. Well, that's behind that word that you see in the Old Testament. Yahweh. Jehovah. God is saying, I am the one who is. Whoever was, whoever shall be, I am the eternally self-existing, self-sufficient God. And in this gospel, John is intent on revealing Jesus as that Son of God. And he speaks to us his purpose of writing all that is written within this gospel. In, and you heard it from the chapter 20, verses, verse 31. He says, that there's so much that could be written about Jesus. And, and they're not written in this book. But what is written is given so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that what we heard from Proverbs 8? 
the wisdom from on God, from on high, that has come to us in Christ. Why did he speak all those exalting words about the wisdom of God that was with God from the beginning? So that you may have life. So that you will stop hating, sorry, stop loving death and start loving life. We don't think of people loving death as Proverbs 8 brings out in that very last verse that chapter. But to deny Christ, to deny that gospel message that in Him is found eternal life by faith and faith alone. To deny that is to love death. My friends, as we go through this gospel as we learn more and more about the glory of Jesus as the Son of God and why He came in the flesh and why He took our place in death, why He rose again from the dead, don't let it be an intellectual exercise. Don't let it be in your heart something I've heard before. This is for us to hear that we may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, we may have life in his name. That's my prayer for all of you. And I hope you will make it your prayer as we go into this. But again, we, we come to our text this morning, basically focusing on the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What an interesting way to begin the message of the gospel. It was declaring for us three great and important truths to know about Jesus and how it affects your faith and life in him. And the first thing that comes and meets us with this verse and with the phrase in the beginning was the word is that you need to understand Jesus is not a created that he is eternal. He is God the Son from eternity. You see, this is something that really sets John's gospel out and apart from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew and Luke begin with Jesus' nativity. We know those, those passages very well, the birth of Christ and how he came into the world. Mark begins with prophecy and about the mission of Christ in the world. But John takes us to eternity and says the the foremost thing you have to get about Jesus is his divinity. He is God the Son. And he is God the Son who has come to do an amazing work. It's no error or coincidence that John begins with those words, in the beginning was the word. (laughs) Because he's writing to a world who needs to know who Jesus is. And let's begin with the most basic of things. Where did God's word begin as God began to reveal himself to us? It begins with those words in Genesis 1. 
In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. That the one that we are learning of and trying to understand is the God who has created all that is. That phrase, in the beginning, is purpose to correlate the coming of Jesus Christ into the world with the very beginning of God's creative work. And, and there, is, there is a connection there between God's creative work and God's redemptive work in Jesus Christ. Genesis begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then it talks about the state of the earth. It was empty, in darkness. And the very first thing God determined that was necessary was that light needs to shine in the darkness. And so he spoke, let there be light. And there was light, light that did not need the sun or the stars or the moon to shine forth. That's the problem, if any of you are into the gap theory. That's the problem with some of those theories that try to say, well, how can there be light without the sun and the moon and the stars? Well, that's what it's going to be for eternity. There will be no more sun or moon. (laughs) Why? Because we have it here. He's the light. (laughs) The glory of God is the first thing that began to shine over creation. Well, we know what happened to creation. The darkness of sin has come in and brought death with it. Death now reigns in the life of the earth. And we walk in this darkness. And John will bring us to this issue of darkness time and time again. Why he begins here is he's saying, but know that with the coming of Jesus in the beginning was the word that just as God had to command light into the empty darkness of the earth, that same God has now come to do a new creation work within this world of sinful darkness and death. Praise God. That's his desire. In the first creation... The parallels continue. In the first creation, God displayed his glory in creating man and woman in his image. What has sin done to that? All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. The most righteous of mankind is no closer to God than the most wicked of mankind. Comprehend that. Many who are without Christ and without God want to make the distinctions between who is more wicked and who is less wicked. But without Christ and without God, we are all wicked. We, because we have all fallen short of that glory. So much for bearing the image of God and his glory in our lives, 
in purity and holiness. Well, as it was in the beginning, now with the coming of Christ in that new creation that he is purposed to bring forth, God now displays not his glory in that measure, but his grace. God is displaying his grace in the sending of his Son in whom all his glory dwells, who comes now to take our image and recreate it into a glorious, holy image, able to be in the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? That correlation was meant to strike in the minds of those who understood Genesis 1.1, that a new thing has been begun with the coming of Jesus Christ, because he is that eternal word. In the beginning was the word. Now, here is where we need to understand what is meant by the word. That word, word, is the Greek word, logos. It is translated word. But again, it's something that would have struck and resonated with both the Jew and the Gentile. The Jew and the Greek. Because that emblem, word, is something that stood in the Jewish mind for God who has spoken. That he brings forth his word for us to hear. And that his word is that which goes forth, as we heard from Isaiah 55, to accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. God does not speak Frivolously. Remember what scripture says to us about our idle words. We're going to be judged for them. Why? Because what you say is always important. So it is with God. Our God does not speak idly. He speaks with power, authority, and And for the Jew, hearing this, in the beginning was the word. They would have been taken to Genesis 1, the whole chapter. And they would have understood every time where it says, And God said, then God said, then God said. And every time God spoke, what happened? Life was brought forth. The word commanded produced what it spoke. And the Jew would understand the God who commanded that by the word of his power, he brought life into being. Big word, isn't it? And now the word who was in the beginning has come to bring life. In him was life. And the life was the light of man. Friends, do you know that none of you exist except for the will of God? Whether you choose to acknowledge that or not, we all, all, Acts 17, all of us, believers and unbelievers, we all live and move and have our being in God. 
God spoke you into existence. Now we know scientifically how that happens. But it is the will of God. The wisdom of God. The Jew understood that. The Gentile, the Greek understood. Word, the way it's emphasized here. It stood for that wisdom, that reason by which everything exists and is sustained. Again, think about Paul when he came to Athens and he saw the the great idolatry of this city. They had a statue and a temple to every known God. They were superstitious in this way of thinking that there are many gods and let's make sure we're appeasing every single one of them. And, And then they had this one statue. You remember what Paul said? He saw the statue that said to the unknown God. That even in all of their idolatry, they understood there was one God who existed over and above all things. There was one wisdom, one reason by which everything existed. It's what unbelievers who know that there's a higher power, would call some sort of intellect that exists. You know, that idea of Greek uh, logos, wisdom, hasn't dissipated in our day. It's just the heart that is unwilling to acknowledge the true and living God comes up with some sort of higher power or being. They understood that there was a wisdom that existed and sustained all things. And in hearing this whole phrase to the Greek, they would have heard this and said, so you're saying that that word is the God whom we don't know and in tune with verse 14, has now become flesh and is among us? Are you saying that that one who inhabits eternity has now stepped into time? Yes. That's what's going on here. This is Jesus. Jesus' name isn't mentioned until verse 17, but we're brought there to understand in the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus Christ. He's eternal. I say this, and it's my own personal opinion. I think it's wrong for us to teach our children that December 25th is Jesus' birthday. It's the time of remembering he became a human being. He's also God, eternal, no beginning. And the second thing that we note here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Again, another very powerful statement because it's telling us that there is within the Godhead persons. The Word is a person. And in being a person, that Word is personal. (laughs) And we think, what's that really, how is that really important for us? Well, Follow along. Think about the many religions that existed within Jesus' day between the Rome, Romans and the Greeks and 
all of the other nations and, and how they operated their religion. And it was always on this basis of trying to appease a God who is forever angry with them. And the idea of being able to have the strength and power of that God on your side, you had to do things that would make him happy. (laughs) Well, this is a statement that is saying that the true and living God is different from those religions. And understanding that the Word is a person within the Godhead is vital to that. When he says here, he was with God, he is saying that the word that came and became flesh did not take on some sort of mode or impression of deity. It means that this is the one who both coexisted and is co-eternal with God. He's a separate person existing with God From eternity. Now I know for us who are schooled in Christianity. We understand that this is a teaching about the Trinity. That there is only one God. But that one God exists in three persons. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they are all together one God. The same in substance and power and glory. And that's what John is saying about Jesus. And even Jesus himself made this statement. What it meant for him to be with God from eternity. You go to John 17 and there's three words that Jesus uses to describe what it meant for him to be with God from eternity. John 17 verse 5, Father... Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you when? Before the world was. Glory. We don't comprehend the glory of God, the brilliance and majesty of the being of God, and what that glory means to be dwelling in. Even the angels who experience that as we hear from Isaiah 6, have to cover their faces from it. They're not privileged to gaze into that glory, to see that glory of God. But then there's two other words Jesus expresses about what he wants to return to. Then you go to verse 21. Oneness. Oneness with God. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. Now that's not to say Jesus wasn't still one with the Father at this time yet in the flesh. Yes, he was. But that glory of being with God meant having a very particular union and communion with him. That we will never understand. You know the closest thing to that union and communion of God? You know where that's found? In marriage. That's the only thing that comes close to understanding the union 
of glory is in the Godhead. That's not to say our marriages aren't perfect in that way. We know some marriages have ended. But it does give you a sense of why God says the two shall become what? One. And you will share a union and a glory that others will never understand. And we have that within our marriages, don't we? An understanding of one another that others don't share it in. A unity that others don't share it in. That's why God says, what he has joined together, let no man what? Separate. Because that reflects God. Jesus is saying, I have this union and glory with God from before the world. And the last one is in verse 24. A union of glory and love. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. The purity of that glory and union and love. Jesus had it with God. The word was with God doesn't mean he was simply beside him. But what he enjoyed, we think of God in rigid terms, but my friends, this is a God who from eternity was love. <laughs> Even before he created, he created because he's a God of love. He also had to create because he's God, and God creates. <laughs> But he could not deny himself. But think about this. When he looked at all of creation and he said, and it was very good, the display of unity and love with God that creation had in that beginning. Something we don't know because sin is ruined. And so when he says here that the word was with God and as we're going to go further on in this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It brings more of that reality of Emmanuel to us and what's going on here. That word is a person within the Godhead who enjoyed a majestic, holy, pure, perfect, relational love, joy, and unity Within the Godhead, the Father with the Son and the Spirit, the Son with the Father and the Spirit, the Spirit with the Father and the Son. And, and the majesty of that union and communion and oneness could not help but spill over into creation. But that was lost by man, mankind's fall into the darkness of sin. And what we see happening now is here comes the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reestablish an unbreakable union and communion with God. Isn't that amazing? That God wants you to be back in the fullness and purity of holiness, fellowship with him 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mine should be going, wow, I don't understand. Yeah, that's right. It's hard because we still dwell this side of that glory. But the challenge meets you, dear people. Do you have this loving, joy-filled fellowship with the Father? Are you experiencing that now? My friends, do you desire that? The point of this gospel is there's only one way. Jesus Christ. The Word who became flesh. And the last point of this opening, and this is probably rhetorical, but it comes to that statement, and the Word was Jehovah Witness get it wrong. That's why they are not part of the Christian church. They are a heretical group. I'm going to state that boldly because they will change this because they don't believe that there is a trinity. They don't believe in a Godhead. They don't believe that there are three persons together within that Godhead when Scripture clearly teaches it. So what they say, and in their version of the Bible, they say and they add... uh, 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 an indefinite article, they say that the word was a God. They're not alone in that. Islam denies this truth of God. That's why Allah is not another name for God. Because Allah means one God, not a God who can be appeased or related with in any meaningful way. God's word is very clear. And in fact, the original language is better translated. And God was the word. Making a mighty statement. That he is eternal, personal, and divine. That when we talk about Jesus Christ in the flesh, we don't dismiss the truth that Jesus had the nature of God. Those two natures come together in the person of Jesus Christ, the nature of man and the nature of God. And you sit there and say, how can that be? Well, that was the debate even in John's day. That's why he's writing this, because there was denial that Jesus truly was God from eternity. And already those seeds of heresy were rising in his day. How can God be in the flesh? But he's making this point. The word was God. And to doubly state it, he was in the beginning with God. Jesus, the word, possesses all the substance and essence of what it is to be God. An eternal, infinite, unchangeable spirit who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and in all wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth is the infinite, unchangeable God. (laughs) And we're going to learn more of that as we go along. But again, I ask this question, why is this so essential? Why is it so essential that we affirm Jesus was God? Because as God, Jesus has that authority and power and holiness and grace to save us from death and to give us life. Only God gives life. 
And you look, John is making that very clear for us to understand. He's the life and light of man. There is no other. Only God can give life to that which is dead. And you, my friends, we were, as as Paul would say in Ephesians 2, the same thing. The Spirit of God conveying this truth. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. You have nothing in you as a human being that would ever desire to seek the Lord. And we heard that call from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And the average individual would say, why? Why do I need this God? That's what deadness in sin, deadness in trespassing God's law. We don't believe we need God. We think we're living fine as we are. But we are in the bondage of death. Only God can give life to such a soul. Only God can bring light into darkness. God was able to look over the, the empty and dark earth and command light to shine within it. I always remember one preacher saying, and could that light say, no, I don't want to shine? Absolutely not. Now think about that with you who believe in Jesus. Who commanded that light to shine in you? That was God. And only God can transform this dark, empty world and this dark, empty heart into a glorious being that worships Him. You're here to worship God. We came out in a snow blizzard to come and worship God. What kind of heart does that? A heart that has been changed by the Lord. And in his divinity, Jesus has come to bring light and life. My friends, look at your hearts. Do you see that light and life of Christ in you? Do you believe in Jesus, the eternal, personal, divine Son of God. And thank God, because Jesus has brought you life. Seek Him. Find Him. His mercy will shine with you. Let us pray.